This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 548 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Three jokers and you're out. The Legion goes to trial. Young Justice cleans up. Billionaire Island gets even darker. Adam Strange bums a ride. Dreaming of Shakespeare. The new DC implosion. And we go under the dome. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, August 30th, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. You can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Or call us at 614 321 Nine seven three seven. That's six one four three two one nine SFP. It's been a busy month for DC, but let's get through the books first. Batman: Three Jokers, Book One from DC Black Label by Johns Fabic and Anderson. This title was first announced back at San Diego Comic Con twenty eighteen, but between John's penchant for delays and the recent pandemic shakeup. We're finally seeing the story that was hinted at in Rebirth. We begin with a montage of Bruce's wounds due to various fights over the years, always fixed by Alfred. Cue the greatest wound of all, the death of his parents, yada, yada, yada. The Bat TV has a news update about the Joker. He's just executed the final members of the Moxon crime family who orchestrated the Wayne's deaths. A small note lists, one, the criminal. We move to Barbara at the gym, burning up a treadmill as an ad for restless leg syndrome plays on TV. Is that a little on the nose? It then cuts to a news alert. Joker has killed an activist comedian during a live stream. In the shower, she relives Joker's attack that left her a paraplegic for a while. Number two, the comedian. Cut to Red Hood, a.k.a. Jason Todd, beating the crap out of some Joker goons. In his cowl radio, he hears another news bulletin. Joker was seen at Ace Chemical, where he got his complexion, and they note that a doctor and author who wrote a book about the psychology of heroes and villains was found stuffed in an Arkham closet with a rubber chicken down his throat. Jason relives his murder by Joker and finishes off the goons. Number three, the clown. At Ace Chemical, three men are found jokerized by the cops, who bet on which of that night's events was caused by the actual Joker. Batman realizes it's all a distraction from a truck filled with dangerous chemicals that left the plant. The victims are actually alive and rush to the hospital, one with Jason inside dressed as a medic who has some questions. Batman and Batgirl take out the ambulance to stop him from killing the guy. Cut to the truck, driven by the Joker, who meets another Joker at a cabin? While Bruce, Jason, and Barbara argue about proper procedure, the two Jokers confer with a third one. They are clearly different. One is dour and contemplative. Another is wacky and manic, while the third is sarcastic and creepy. All wear different outfits. The criminal is in charge and gives the orders. 
Later, the Bat family comes to the Gotham Aquarium, currently closed. They find part of the chemicals dumped in a tank, which has jokerized the fish. They also find a bunch of goons, most in the classic Adam West outfits with name tags. There's, a, there's also Gaggy, who was once his court jester. The fight is on, and Jason shoots out the tank so a Joker shark can eat Gaggy. The clown then steps in to attack them and gets punched out. Bruce says this is clearly the real Joker. Jason begins kicking the prone villain, and Bruce steps in again, then gets a call from Gordon that another Joker is cornered. So he leaves Jason and Barbara to secure Joker for Gotham. The clown awakes and begins to goad Jason, which is all he needs. He aims his gun and blows a hole in his head. Barbara is shocked, but Jason replies, don't tell me you didn't want this too, and notes that she didn't stop him. We end with, hope that's the right one. Phew. The artwork is fabulous, but the story is gripping, but kind of confusing. Legion of Superheroes number eight by Bendis, Chair, Lemire, Nguyen, Jones, Oming, Sharp, Arujo, Green, Hamner, Packet, Hip, Mac, Robertson, Jurgens, Raymond, Evely, Moon, Elred, Sook, Von Grabacher, Maliv, Timms, Rolu, Belair, and Sharp. A special issue designed to give both regular artist Evan Shaner a break and give all the talent who's wanted to draw the Legion all these years a chance. We begin with a series of pages showing one hero at a time as the UP president reviews records to find out what just happened. John Kent, Brainiac 5, Dream Girl, and Princess Projecta all get a page. The UP Prez, who's also Chameleon Boy's mother, is grilling him about the whole thing. So what did happen? New Legion Chair Ultra Boy attacks his dad, Crab, who just arrives to arrest the Legion, and the others follow his lead. A long fight sequence follows. Cosmic Boy, off moping after being voted out, is called by his dad and tells him he can't run away from his troubles. He gets the call to join the fight. The team discovers Crab is absorbing energy from the attacks. Is that how Ultra Boy's powers work? And Pharaoh Lad, first appearance in this continuity, says he fought a Rimbor before. The answer is to hit him with more power than he can handle. A huge explosion follows his attack. At that point, the Legion is told by the UP to surrender, and Rose tries to talk the president out of it. The president sees they have no record of Rose, and she reveals that she's lived for 1,000 years. Phantom Girl tells the team they're going to trial, and after an argument, Mon-El, her coupling, is done with her. John Kent talks to Mon-El and learns the latter is John's great-great-great-great-great-grandchild from New Krypton. They get word from Saturn Girl that the trial is about to begin. Young Justice number 17 from Wonder Comics by Bendis, Walker, Godlewski, and Eltiab. A father and daughter are in a truck talking about why they are doing their part, which turns out to be a food truck pulling up to the site of a superhero fight with both Young Justice and the League involved. He tells her to go hand out water bottles while he sets up. The heroes are cleaning up the mess. Seriously, whose smoldering squad car is this and where do you want it? We learn this is the fight we saw in the Superman titles in Metropolis. The girl meets Young Justice members who are excited to get a bite to eat. Wonder Girl and Auntie Diana have a chat. Well, Grandpa came to see me, so Zeus promised me he would not, that he would leave you to your path. He promised. Diana is impressed with the team and tells her to lead them well. No, I, I don't lead them. Ginny asks if Wonder Woman is seeing anyone. 
Impulse grabbed Drake's phone during the fight to capture video of Connor clocking Apex Lex. Connor gives him a big hug, realizing how much Bart has done for him. The League is very complimentary of Young Justice, except for Batman, of course. Barry and Bart reunite and have a run to chat. Barry is a little jealous of his grandson, wishing he could live more in the now. Naomi goes home to her folks, who are freaking out about what they saw on TV. The team says goodbye as the girl with the food truck watches them go. She's seen that they are just like regular people. Later, we see the same girl, Yolanda, being dropped off at the Hall of Justice and met by the Wonder Twins. This is just an outstanding title. Too bad it's about to go. Billionaire Island number four and five from Ahoy Comics by Russell Pugh and Chuckery. We're still seeing a few titles coming out in batches as things get back up to speed. When we left off, our hero was about to receive judgment from Business Dog based on whether he ate out of a bowl with live or die. At first, he eats from the latter bowl, but then vomits. So what does this mean? After some debate, it's decided to drop him into the waiting room with the others. Meanwhile, the architect of the island, now a hermit, decides to get the journalist back into the city with his credentials. Meanwhile, Kanto is speaking to the president, which appears to be Kid Rock, about what to do about the looming agricultural collapse. They can wait until they work out the kinks in the sterility virus, or they can hold a lottery where one out of a hundred wins a life in a model bubble city, while the rest are herded off to detention centers to become food for the solution. Sterility virus it is. An accountant notes if they just raise the top tax on billionaires, self-sustaining cities can be built for all. He's carried off by drones. Back to the architect and journalist who do get back in, sheathed through a pet door, but can't get a ticket to the mainland without an ID. The journalist wonders how she got out in the first place and learns that the architect started cutting corners to save money. We get a flashback where migrant workers built a prison for the island, then were thrown into it. He then breaks into Canto's mansions via a $2 lock. The journalist says they need to save the others in the waiting room, only to find it ablaze, set by our hero. They escape, whether they wanted to or not. Most, including the architect, are shot by a drone, and our hero again finds Canto and shoots him. Unfortunately, it's a smart bullet that evaporates before it kills a rich person, so his robot bartender stabs our hero in the chest. The woman from the waiting room, who thought the whole thing was an executive trainee exercise, meets a team assigned to sterilize the waiting room with fire and set it up for the next occupants. Oops! Canto's assistant, tired of being ignored, clocks him over the head with a chair and kills him. The architect, as he dies, remembers his love back at the cave, a mannequin. To be continued. Wow, that got dark. And speaking of dark... Strange Adventures number 4 of 12 from DC Black Label by King Gerards and Shaner. We begin with a flashback as Adam Strange is in the midst of a battle when he's Zeta beamed out. Cuts to Mr. Terrific, ready to land on current day Ron to do more investigation. Of course, Adam is a hero there, and he gets some passive and then active aggressive pushback for considering otherwise. They tell him the picked documentation is unreadable. They have tried and failed to translate it, meaning he would only get the Ronian version of events. Fortunately, Terrific learned the picked language on the way there. In a flashback, Adam is trying to get back to Ron, refusing to wait for the next Zeta Beam. He checks in with Hal Jordan and asks for a ride. He replies that the Guardians have forbidden it as they are neutral in the fight. Adam's reply, you, Lantern. 
back to Adam, who asked Superman on the moon, fighting a battle with a Mongol goon, for a lift. Clark says he can't, that Mongol is coming. Adam punches him. Adam, your hand's broken. You think? Back to Terrific, who's accosted in his bed by Ronnie and soldiers under orders from the council. His T-spheres take them out. Adam's Zeta beam arrives, and he returns to find a battlefield of dead soldiers. Terrific confronts Sardoth, who slaps him and gets slapped back. You hit me, I hit you. What the do you think fair play means? Adam finds Alana, who tells him there is a time for pity and there is a time for war. In the present, Terrific returns to Earth to find Alana in his house. Michael, it's time for you to be done. The Dreaming Waking Hours number 1 from DC Black Label by Wilson Robles and Lopez. In what appears to be a wrap-up of DC's return to Gaiman's universe, we meet Lindy, a woman with lucid dreams. She's a PhD candidate who's failing in her dissertation about Shakespeare. Back in her dream, she sees a man going up the stairs. She's seen him before, but this time is able to catch up to him. He says he's not supposed to be there and that when he finds out, he's going to straight up unmake me. Who's he? The boss. He then turns into a monster and begs her to wake up, but he does instead in her place. He takes Lindy's baby and goes off. Back to Lindy, finding herself in Stratford-on-Avon with the bard himself. Various others arrived who are theorized to have actually written Shakespeare's work. Anne Hathaway, his wife, Sheik Zubar, Kit Marlowe. Anne says it's getting crowded, but there's always room for one more. Back to the dream guy, who's come to the angel Jophiel for help. She needs someone to take care of the baby while he figures out how to switch places with Lindy again, or she will die in the dream. Cut to Lucian, who is visited by Lord Dream. A nightmare is missing and was set loose. Well, things have not been quiet at D.C. with two major events in the last month. On August 10th, what is being called the D.C. Implosion 2, referring to a 1978 event when a large set of titles were unceremoniously dropped, some already published, happened. As part of the AT&T, Warner Brothers, Scheinhardt, Wiggs, Cable Towns push to reduce debt post-takeover, a huge number, about one-third of editorial positions, were let go. Many VPs were shown the door, as well as longtime editor-in-chief Bob Harris, replaced by Marie Javins and Michelle Wells as executive editor of Global Publishing Initiatives and Digital Strategy and executive editor DC Children's Young Adult, respectively. Javins has had a long career in the comics biz, and Wells was already heading up the young adult efforts at DC. The DC direct collectible arm was shut down, and the DC Universe streaming service got another nail in its coffin as all the scripted content is moving to HBO Max. After days of confusion with little detail, Jim Lee gave an interview saying that DC Comics is still in the business of publishing comics, although about 20 to 25 percent of the books would disappear. He said these books lose money for the company, important when AT&T is trying to cut debts, although it's the equivalent of couch cushion change. Teen Titans, Young Justice, Suicide Squad, Hawkman, and John Constantine Hellblazer were all given pink slips with Batgirl, Batman, and the Outsiders, and Justice League Odyssey already announced. Most of these are of little consequence, although Justice League Odyssey was the only Justice League title we were going to keep. But Young Justice really hurts. It does make sense, as about the same amount of editors will be gone. Two of those editors ran DC Black Label, so expect that to be closed down. DC also announced new books just to settle the stomachs of local comic book shops and customers. 
but I would take them with a huge grain of salt. John Ridley's The Other History of the DC Universe, highlighting people of color, will come out in November. It's been announced and pushed back several times. Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth will get another run again in November. The Luke Fox as Batman title, planned as part of DiDio's Generations concept, may see the light of day as a kind of Elseworlds slash Black Label title. Less than two weeks post-bloodbath, DC held a massive virtual free convention called Fandome. With a lack of any in-person conventions due to COVID, including SDCC, the industry needs to get the word out somehow. We've watched a few Wizard World virtual events, which boils down to watching a Zoom call with the cast of a show, along with offers to sell virtual face-to-face sessions for big bucks. DC went whole hog with their event, creating this enormous virtual dome for you to watch, along with teeny tiny hosts reading off teleprompters. The whole thing appeared to be on tape, so one of the joys of in-person sessions, someone slipping and giving a spoiler, was removed. It had all the spontaneity of an Entertainment Tonight story. The event was originally planned to run two full days, but at the last second, DC realized that was too big an ask, maybe because a lot of staffers suddenly vanished. So it became a one-day celebration of mostly the DC Entertainment Universe with a smattering of comics and TV and plans for another event in a few weeks. We got previews slash trailers slash hints on Wonder Woman 84, Suicide Squad 2, Black Adam, the Justice League Snyder Cut, which is now a series of four one-hour films set to premiere next year on HBO Max, and The Batman. Uh, Should we set up a Kickstarter to buy The Batman a light? This was the darkest trailer I've ever seen. You have to really crank up the brightness on your TV to see what the heck was going on. As a sop for actual comic fans, it was announced that Milestone will return next year, again, not holding my breath. Also, two games were previewed, one about the rest of the Bat family fighting on after Bruce's apparent death, and another, a Suicide Squad romp. I dropped out once the cast of Wonder Woman 84 started playing Werewolf on Zoom. Announcer Bot How can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.